Hello and welcome back to the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorales podcast, Behind the Blazer. In this episode, our host, Scott Sempier, speaks to three members of the Philly Pops, Frank Giordano, David Charles Abel, and Danny Palmieri. They speak about the unique experience that the Philly Pops delivers, the abundant program by which the Philly Pops enriches the Philadelphia area, and the connection with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Enjoy! the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season 2, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. The Philly Pops has been a regional institution since 1979, earning the designation of Official Pops Orchestra of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in 1999. Its reputation continued to grow, And in 2001, the Kimmel Center for Performing Arts opened with the Philly Pops as a founding resident company. Branching out of the Philadelphia Orchestra in 2011, the Philly Pops has become the largest standalone Pops orchestra in the country. The Philly Pops reaches audiences in powerful ways and has continued to expand through educational opportunities as well. The Philly Pops, as I would say, performs in a way that takes fun seriously. With all that said, I am pleased to be sitting here with Danny Palmieri, Vice President of Sales and Customer Relations. Welcome. And also Frank Giordano, President of the Philly Pops. Welcome to you as well. Good to be here. And we are joined live via Zoom by David Charles Abel, Music Director and Principal Conductor of the Philly Pops. And so we thank you and welcome you all for being here today. And, and yes. Maestro Extraordinaire. Maestro Extraordinaire. <laughs> is, that his, uh, is that his middle name or is that his uh, the last initials then? I'm not quite sure, but we can't. Whatever you want to call me. We can't say enough. Excellent. How did the Philly Pops form? I, I did say it was 79, but... Well, in 1979, there was a... Sometimes people in a joking way refer to me as the impresario of Broad Street. And I say yes. From Samson to Spruce, just 10 feet on the west side of the sidewalk. But a true impresario was Mo Septi. And Mo Septi founded the Philly Pops, which the predecessor was the All-Star Forum. Okay. And Mo Septi founded the Philly Pops, named it the Philly Pops, and he brought in Peter Nero mm-hmm. in 1979. Peter Nero was the only conductor, music director of the Philly Pops for 37, whatever it was, years. Okay. But it was Mo Septi who founded the Philly Pops. And originally, they started out in the Academy of Music, and the Kimmel Center opened 2001. Mm-hmm. And the Philly Pops was one of the original, and still is, resident companies of the Kimmel Center. Okay. And have you been here since the beginning as well? No. I was on the board of the Philly Pops, joined the board, I think, I believe in 2009, and in 2011, 
I uh, took over running of the Philly Pops and officially became the CEO in 2000. And since then, we've called it the New Philly Pops. The New Philly Pops, why is that? The Philly Pops had a quasi-formal relationship with the Philadelphia Orchestra, that they were going to join forces, but never officially did. But they had a contract they were working under. It was a five-year contract. It was about in our sixth year into it, the Philadelphia Orchestra filed bankruptcy. Oh, okay. And the Academy of Music and the Philly Pops were drawn into that bankruptcy. We separated. We withdrew from the Philadelphia Orchestra. We went through the bankruptcy courts only because we were drug into it. Mm-hmm. And we emerged as the Philly Pops, and we call it the new Philly Pops. Okay. And Peter Nero was our conductor for a short period of time. And then Peter retired, and uh, then we came in with new conductors. Okay. And principal music directors. And our greatest... Put it all myself. Our greatest find was David Charles of Bell. Okay. You know, I I hired him from a photograph. That's how good looking he is. Look at look at it was either him, I won't mention the other conductor's name. Sure. You know. It's like my wife plays tennis. She comes home, I oh I had a great day today. I said, Who'd you play with? She tells me. I said, They're in their eighties. No wonder you had a great day. You know. But David was was hired initially to do our Christmas programs. Because our uh, principal conductor, music director at the time, was not able to get out of his contract conducting the music at Christmas for in Houston. And David really raised the bar and brought us to a new level that for three years. And then our uh, music conductor, Michael Krzyzewski, uh, was able to do the fourth year. Uh, Then we had another music conductor. And now we brought David. uh, David is back now as our principal conductor this was his first year because of the covid right so this was his first year as our i know i'm being redundant but as our principal conductor and music director and this year the christmas program achieved a new height it was phenomenal how do you measure that i liked it okay (laughs) that's a good standard no it, it was it was truly a I'm not saying this in any way negative at all. I'm saying it in a positive way. It was a variety show. It was something for everybody. And the way, you know, we opened up with just, please my wife, she likes the big opening, you know, the the big religious song. And it it just took us through, it took us through a sleigh ride. Mm -hmm. You know, each time it was a, a greater adventure. And the ending was just spectacular. Everything about it. Our guest artist, Scarlett, she had the most beautiful Christmas gowns you've yeah, ever seen. She really did. I mean, they were absolutely beautiful. And her voice was magical. But then we had Hugh Panera there that really showed everybody what a truly great singer can be. Right. I mean, when yeah. he sings, it's like, and he's singing. He's singing into the microphone, and you think that there's some magic being done with the sound and everything. I mean, he's just unreal. And I know I'm being a little enthusiastic and a little hyperbole here, but but it, I truly feel this way. And then we had Charlie Albright, a piano player, yeah, yeah. as Peter Nero liked to be called, a piano player. Right. I mean, no one plays the piano like Charlie Albright. He was just unbelievable. And that uh, Liberace piece, mm-hmm. which I couldn't get my mind around it when I heard the planning of it, 
it was tremendous. And uh, and even Santa Claus. I thought Santa Claus was best this year. Yes. Well, Frank, I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that because it's exactly what I aim for. I know. I think for everybody. And you, you know, allowing us to have three soloists this year and of such diverse talents and the three choruses. It's yes. just, it's really a gift. And it's, it's, you know, it's a pleasure to make a program which features talent like that. And the boys, you know, the boys were a part of that. In the very beginning, they, they sang in Angels We Have Heard on High, which Frank referenced yes. to open the program. And having them there, you know, just gives that wonderful color, very Christmassy sound with of boys singing. And the Philadelphia Boys Choir is very much a part of Christmas, very, very much a part of Philly Pop's Christmas every year. David Charles Abel just told you how we sing, Angels We Have Heard on High. We love being a part of the Philly Pop's Christmas every year. Here is a portion of our song with the Philly Pops. Enjoy! <laughs> As much fun as it is to hear on a podcast, you should come experience it with us next Christmas as we sing again with the Philly Pops. And now, back to the Behind the Blazer interview with the Philly Pops. When you introduced us and yes. you said we're the largest standalone pop orchestra, yes. I tell people we have the largest Christmas show, the most elaborate Christmas show outside of Radio City in New York in the country. No one has 300 people on stage. And David accomplishes things with those 300 people yes. that, that are unbelievable. That is that is definitely something I was going and, to speak about uh, and, somewhere down the line, but since we're here, let's right. go with it. Well, and the conductor of the boys' choir. Yes, Jeff. When Dave, Jeff, when David gave him a chance to conduct, I've never seen him conduct like that. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I mean, it was something. It was remarkable. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's conducted the orchestra, the choir. And he played the piano while he was doing it. And he played the piano <laughs> while he was doing it. Right. And he turned his own pages when I would forget to turn his yeah, pages. I, I saw that. That. <laughs> the boys' choir, as the other choirs are, mm -hmm. an integral part of, of what we do. In fact, people would be disappointed if we didn't have the boys' choir there. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they are Christmas. Oh, wow. The boys' choir are Christmas. There's no question about it. That's tremendous. That's that's really a great statement. Thank you for saying that. I was thinking about the Christmas program because that's I obviously we just finished that and and I was in the audience because that's where you'd want me to be. And at the end, there's the sing along, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about, David. Is is you turn your back on the entire group of three hundred people and you conduct everyone who's in the audience, and that's like the only time I've ever been conducted because I'm just not musical at all. But for me, I have to take out my phone and snap a picture because I see all these groups all working together. It's like absolute chaos. It's a madhouse. And there's like I'm seeing and I want to know what from your perspective, what do you think when you're conducting the entire Kimmel Center and the, everybody behind you is supporting you? Well, I think they sound pretty good, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, usually people aren't wearing masks so I can hear them better than I could this year. 
Yeah. I can't really tell who's singing and who isn't. And I mentioned that in the concert. But, you know, I see masks going like that. And so I figure those people are singing or else hyperventilating, I don't know, or, um, you know, choking. But something's happening out there. Right, right. And uh, it, interestingly, from a technical standpoint, when you conduct a sing-along, you have to both lead and follow the audience because the audience isn't really going to follow the stick. They don't really know how to do that. So they'll just sing the songs as they know them or as it's convenient to sing them. So I have to sometimes catch up to them and sometimes slow down a little bit to keep with them. And if I'm clever enough, if my sleight of hand works, then it seems like I'm controlling the whole thing. But the truth is I'm following as much as I'm leading. Is it fun for you for that moment then? Oh yeah, yeah. And I like it, I like the connection between me and the people in the audience there and particularly the people way up high in the circle, you know, who may feel a bit distant from the music and from the action that's going on on stage. I like to connect with them during the sing-along. And so I'll wave at them or, you know, I'll see them leaning over the railing and looking down and I'll smile at them. That's a great moment. You know, there's David. Mm -hmm. He's the general. What we see on stage is because what David has put together. But there's also three other conductors that David's able to coordinate and follow. We had Walt Blocker with the St. Thomas Episcopal Choir. Mm -hmm. We have Jeff Kern with the Philadelphia Pop Festival Chorus. And then we have the Boys Choir. Mm -hmm. Jeff, it is unbelievable. that, that, And each one of these other conductors are tremendous and have their own part and they do great when they're by themselves. And when they're with us, they all come together under David's generalship and it just works. Yeah, well, yeah. It's interesting you say that, Frank, because the, the way that I plan the Christmas program is I start with the soloists and I, I ask them what songs they particularly want to sing, what Christmas songs they want to sing. And then once we've determined what like Scarlet and Hughes and Charlie's songs will be, then I go to the choruses and I say, well, what songs do you want to sing? And maybe they might want to sing the same songs as one of the soloists. And in that case, I'll steer them in a slightly different direction. But I want everyone to be happy and to be singing something that they believe in and that they think is going to sound good with their group or with their voice or piano or whatever. So it's very important to me that everyone who's participating be personally invested in it and as much as possible. So you see how great David is? I was led to believe I chose everything. (laughs) So how long does it take you to organize the program for the Christmas concert? Well, I like to start in May or June. Oh, wow. And actually, I've already started on next year a little bit, you know, because when I'm doing one Christmas, I'm thinking about the next one and what we might do. It's, It's all embryonic now, but, you know, I'll come back to it every few months and I'll talk to people. Once we get our soloists chosen, I'll connect with them and talk to them. And I also listen. I listen to the radio and I listen to playlists of new Christmas music and and old Christmas music. And I think, well, what what would be a song that would be fun to do that I haven't done yet? And I've done six Christmases so far. So, you know, but there's plenty of Christmas music and Hanukkah music for that matter, because those holidays inspired songwriters to do really great work. And they also wanted to make the money on the Christmas albums. So, you know, all the great singers from Sinatra 
down to Mariah Carey and beyond. They all make Christmas albums and some of them are awful, but some are great. And occasionally there's a classic that comes out of one of those albums. And the classics are the ones that I want to do, the really successful songs that resonate with the general public. I mean, everybody who's ever been a singer thinks or believes they must make a Christmas album. Yeah, so the Philly Pops, part of the mission statement of the Philly Pops says, the Philly Pops celebrates and advances appreciation of American traditions and community through the American heritage of song. We just talked about that a good bit with the Philly Pops Christmas and how you choose songs for Christmas. But what's the impetus behind focusing on specifically American music? And do all pops groups do this? We include not only music that was written by Americans or created in America, but music that was popular or is popular in America. So we just did an ABBA concert. ABBA, you know, is a Swedish band, but their music was popular here in the 70s and 80s when they started and became even more popular after Mamma Mia, the Broadway musical opened in 2000, 2001, something like that. And so the popularity has skyrocketed and everyone loves that music. The Mamma Mia movie was the most popular DVD ever. They oh, sold wow. the biggest DVD of any movie ever. So we think that's also appropriate to do in our series. You know, that said, America has made such great contributions to world musical culture. And for me, the three areas in particular, the greatest contribution of, of the United States is Broadway music, Hollywood music, because it was invented here. The whole genre of putting music to film started in Hollywood in the early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, when talkies came in. And jazz, which is a unique form of music, which would not exist if the United States didn't exist, because jazz is a synthesis of several musical cultures which came together, African culture and European culture, which came together here in the United States and created this amazing form called jazz. And that evolved into swing and bebop and cool jazz and all sorts of things. So we want to share this, all these great styles with the general public. And we have musicians who can do that. We're very flexible. We can program whatever we want every year. And we try to make it a variety. Like the Christmas show was a variety show. We try to make a season, every season, full of variety. So this season is Sinatra, ABBA, Motown, Beatles, Oscar Hammerstein, who's a Broadway lyricist, Gershwin, also a Broadway composer and Hollywood composer, and Star Wars, which is Hollywood music by John Williams. So, you know, it doesn't get broader than that as far as appeal. That's right. I think what's really exciting about the Philly Pops is that we play the music of your life. The soundtrack of your life is what comes across our stage. From a guest service standpoint, this we strive to create a complete and total welcoming environment. I think what we were talking about earlier with the sing-along is a wonderful example of where the lights come on and our audience is more than invited to participate and really feel one with the music. ABBA is another great moment where the entire concert, you could not stop the audience from singing and <laughs> dancing along. And that is 110% welcome because this is music that our audience 
every audience, everyone here in Philadelphia and the surrounding region, um, they know, they love, and they want to participate with. And that's just something that's so exciting that that our organization that David helps create um, is a fantastic opportunity. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the word experience, Danny, because that is something that's very important to Frank. I know that from the moment people walk into the Kimmel Center, they have a unique experience. It's not just listening to music in the concert, but it's going there and encountering people in the lobby, hearing a pre-concert presentation or some music before the concert. And then when they come into the hall, connecting with the conductor and the orchestra, that's why I, I, I like to host the concerts. And we did a lot of interviewing with the soloists at Christmas so that the audience could get to know the soloists a little bit. And also putting the music in context, talking about the music and educating a little bit, you know, but in a fun way. And Frank, I know that's always been very important to you to have it be a total experience. Because of the COVID, we didn't employ several elements that we normally do in the lobby. Mm -hmm. We have carolers greeting people as they come in. Oh, wow. We have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Well, we had Santa Claus there this year, mm -hmm. but you know, we always have a Santa Claus and, and we'll have some sing-alongs and we'll do different things. Right. It's, you know, a total immersion when you come to the Philly Pops, when you enter in that. You know, as, as he mentioned, uh, the music, the song track of your life right. is what we play. And you asked... I love that phrase. That's so great, Danny. And you asked about other pop orchestras. Right. And most of the pops that came out, with, you know, it was the American Songbook. Mm -hmm. And we play the American Songbook, but we don't play the American... We try to avoid the American Songbook of your grandparents. Right. Because the American Songbook, it's American. Right. It evolves. Yeah. And the American Songbook evolves. So sure, we have Gershwin and we have Cole Porter and we have some of that. But then we have much newer people also. So it seems to me from what you guys are all saying is that the spirit of the pops isn't just the music, but it's the entire experience. It's the performance. It's the immersive engagement of the audience. It's, of course, that excellent music that you do perform as well. It is. And on this year, COVID affected the landscape of, of arts and culture in so many ways. Right. But I'm happy to say that throughout the pandemic, the Pops was innovating and okay. finding ways to move forward, creating new and exciting partnerships, which led to now our Christmas concert will have a massive reach. It will be streamed to over 500,000 active service members oh, wow. through the American Forces Network. Nice. It will also be broadcast on 6ABC at 9 a.m. on Christmas morning as our gift to Philadelphia. That's so these, there's now new ways for our audience, for the Philadelphia region to experience the pops, to experience this excitement, this happiness, and this joy that David has helped create, it is really phenomenal. That's incredible. And I know that you guys have, you have other segments of, of the Pops. You have other pieces of your organization for major programs, the Salute Series, Pops in School, Pops Outside, and Pops Presents. Can you tell us more about these programs? The Salute Series is to honor our military first responders, people that give of themselves when they give, you know, providing service. Okay. Started out with our, our first Christmas concert of the season. 
and this was seven or eight years ago, that we dedicated, and we continue to do this to the military and first responders. And that's where we give 2,000 tickets away. Wow. The staff, Karen Corbin and our staff, has expanded a salute series to seven programs, I think, mm-hmm. where Veterans Day, 3rd and 4th of July. So they're all dedicated. They're all free concerts. So in the Kimmel Center, where people pay for their tickets, right. maybe 50,000 people come through there. Okay. But in excess of a quarter million people see us live, in person, free. Wow. As Danny mentioned to you, another 500,000 people have the opportunity to see us on the American Forces Network. Where we broadcast, uh, broadcast is the right word, maybe extreme, the, some of our salute series, certainly our Christmas program, mm-hmm. certainly July 3rd, Memorial Day, and some others. So if you put all that together, I mean, there's certainly well over a million people that get to see the Philly Pops every day. And that's throughout the world. Yeah, and that's just one of your programs there. Right, now we have Pops in Schools. And Pops in Schools would reach about 3,000 students a okay. year, providing services, music programs that the children want, whether it's learning a guitar or choir, it's specific to the school, whether it's a fully Spanish-speaking school, Wow. To, uh, to not, we provide those programs. Are they all in Philadelphia? And all in Philadelphia. And these are, we are aiding, helping the Philadelphia School District. Okay. That, you know, they have cutbacks. They're obviously going to cut back on music before you cut back on some of the other basic courses. So when the COVID came, what do we do? Right. Well, the POPs developed uh, virtual programs, and they went from reaching 3,000 students to eighteen to 30,000 students. Wow how the program has grown. Another thing we have is the all-city jazz program. The Pops took that over. Oh, wow. And we have 10 or 11 high schools involved. And then there's a playoff contest. And then there's major concert in April. Mm-hmm. So that's that's our Pops in Schools program. Wow. That's really ambitious and really successful. That's wonderful. Yeah. So can you tell us more, too, about Pops Outside and Pops Presents? Are they different? Well, Pops Presents would be where we do a what we would call a one-off program. But more specific, I'll tell you about the Philly Pops Jazz Orchestra of Philadelphia. And we just had our, our first concert at Annenberg, the new home for the Philly Pops Jazz Orchestra of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So that would be more of a, that would fall under the presenting aspect of it. Okay. And then Pops Outside. You see the Philly Pops everywhere. We are the city's orchestra of civic celebration. So when there is an event at Dilworth Park, mm-hmm. there's the, there's a representative or representatives from the Philly Pops playing. Tree lightings were there. Mm-hmm. We are here to celebrate. We are an orchestra of, of celebration. We celebrate the nation's you know, annual biggest celebrations. We celebrate the holidays. We celebrate everyone's love of music. So, of course, we're going to be there. Right. So that's when you see Pops and our really adorable little flags on our music stands out and about in the community spreading joy through music. So if you're going to be part of the fabric of American culture, you're going to be involved directly in the events of American culture as they're happening. As the mayor of Philadelphia calls us, Philadelphia's orchestra 
And I said, you know, we're the Philly Pops, meaning, (laughs) and he goes, no, no, you are Philadelphia's orchestra. Oh, wow. You are part of the fabric of Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the mayor of of this city saying that. Don't tell Yannick, okay? (laughs) I tell him all the time. If Yannick thinks he's an acrobat, he's got nothing on David Charles Abel. Right. David Charles Abel doesn't need a trampoline. Is that a shot across the bow? If I yes, agree? absolutely. <laughs> you tell him Frank Very said good. it. Very good. This interview sure is becoming animated. Here's another sample of the vigor you will experience from the collaboration between the Philadelphia Boys Choir and the Philly Pops. Get ready to deck the halls. is the last part of the interview with the Philly Pops. Let's get to know a bit more about the conductor of the Philly Pops, David Charles Abel. So the next couple questions are for David Charles Abel. You know, I, I did some internet sleuthing, of course, and looked you up on Wikipedia and, and your background uh, through Philly Pops. I saw that you studied the viola, the trumpet, the organ, piano, and voice. How did you start all that? What was your favorite? What do you consider yourself to be if you were to choose one? Well, this is what I want the boys in the Philadelphia Boys Choir to know most of all. It, that's that I started as a, as a boy soprano in a boys choir. My family lived in Mount Airy. And when I was eight, my mother took me to the choir master of Grace Church, Mount Airy and said, well, you know, he's got a very deep gravelly voice. You're never going to make a treble out of him, but you're welcome to try. <laughs> and the choir master, he did. He managed to teach me to sing. I learned to read music. I think I probably learned to read music because I was singing in the choir. And I remember that the thing that helped me most to learn was the boys sitting around me, having experienced, more experienced people around you. And then you catch on to what's going on and you learn to read the music and you learn to read the intervals and pronounce the words and learn to speak, you know, a little Latin, which you have to do when you're in church. And probably the Philadelphia Boys Choir does that from time to time too. And you learn to watch the conductor. And so you become a professional at an early age. So, you know, we considered ourselves, well, not professional. Well, we did get paid actually in (laughs) Grace Church. Got a little envelope every month. So that was my beginning and that got me interested in music. I then, I was at Germantown Friends School and I took up the trumpet and I enjoyed that very much. But after a couple of years, the orchestra at Germantown Friends needed violas more than trumpets. So they switched me. Now those two instruments have absolutely nothing to do with one another. The trumpet is a loud, high brass instrument in which sound is produced by vibrating the lips against metal. The viola is a medium register, rather large instrument that you hold up and produce sound by scraping horsehair against cat gut strings. <laughs> this, this, I'm not making this up. You know, music is, is produced in very odd and unusual and fascinating ways. But it was very helpful to me to learn both of those techniques, the technique of a wind instrument where you use your breath, and of course, the technique of singing where the instrument is your body, you know, the instrument is here in your throat. 
and the technique of playing a stringed instrument, which is perhaps one of the more difficult ways to make music. And, you know, it doesn't sound good for the first year or two when you play it, and then suddenly it starts to sound good if you practice enough. So I enjoyed all of that. I learned a new clef as a violist because the viola has its own special clef, which is between the treble clef and the bass clef. Oh, wow. The piano was great because I learned to improvise. I wasn't really interested in my piano lessons early on, so I quit. But then I took it up again when I was 13 or 14 and because I had a fake book. Now, a fake book is a book of songs, popular songs, with the melody line and chord symbols above it. And I thought, oh, what's this G major chord? What's this C major chord? What do I do with my left hand? I can play the tune, but how do I harmonize it? And I sort of taught myself to do that. And that was a wonderful experience. I really enjoyed that. I was playing songs that were really up to date, that were popular on the radio at the time. And the organ was because um, in church, you know, sometimes the organist would go away for summer vacation and need someone to take over. And I learned to play the pedals with my feet and I already could play a little bit on the manuals. That was the scariest though. I wasn't, I wasn't that good. And playing a church service was very scary. So I didn't continue that for very long. Having all that diverse background in music got me interested in orchestration and conducting and composing. And I started to do all those things. So I just explored what I was interested in. And I would encourage the boys in the Philadelphia Boys Choir to do that. Explore what you're interested in. If a certain kind of music appeals to you, if you really love it, then try to pick out the tunes on the piano or pick up a guitar and see if you can play it on the guitar. If you're interested in acting particularly, then go do that. If you wanna dance, go do that. If you like playing basketball, then pursue that. But whatever is your passion, pursue that and you'll have something rewarding in your life. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's really great advice. And I was, I was thinking with the vast array of all the instruments that you've chosen to play over the course of your life and what you just described, it probably really does help you out a lot in conducting because you, you have to read so many different parts at the same time and know when certain players and, and instrumentalists have to come in and, and what they're doing. And, that probably really came in handy for you. You, you hit that right on, the, you hit the nail right on the head, Scott. A conductor needs to understand all the instruments of the orchestra to some extent, at least. So you know what they're capable of, what they can't do, how far to push them. And you need to be able to read all the music. So that background was very helpful. When you first see an orchestra score, it's sort of overwhelming because as a singer, you're seeing one line of music and you oh, I do that note, then I do that note and this lasts this long and it goes up and it goes down. But as a conductor, you're seeing maybe 30 lines of music that are all happening at the same time. So in a conductor's score, time goes horizontally and pitch goes vertically, as if, if you can understand that. So the vertical represents the sounds that are being created together because not all the instruments not all the instruments are playing the same note. They're all playing different notes and they have to harmonize. Right. And then they all go through time playing their notes, which may or may not be the same length, the same volume, all of that. So it's, it's an endlessly fascinating thing. And after about the first 25 years, I felt really comfortable doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm slightly <laughs> joking, but it does take a while to get comfortable as a conductor. Sure. Well, going back to your, as you said, your original instrument was your voice. You were a member of the Berkshire Boy Choir in 1971, a group of only 43 boys from around the country, and it was called a, a phenomenon by the New York Times. 
what I understand is eight, you had eight weeks in the summer where you got together and you sang. Can you tell us about your experience in the Berkshire Boy Choir? Yeah, that was great. When I was 12, my family moved to the Chicago suburbs. We went to, then to a church in Winnetka, Illinois, an Episcopal church. I joined the boys' choir there. And the administrator of the Berkshire Boys' Choir came and auditioned us. So their idea was to get the best singers from all around the country to come together as a kind of summer camp, a music camp, you know, prepare concerts and give concerts. We had a very good choral director, Alan Wicks. He was the organist choir master at Canterbury Cathedral in England. And he came over for the summer and we would rehearse every day. There were also men in the choir. So it was a bit like the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale as a group. But if you can imagine rehearsing be four or five hours a day on the music, you get really good at it. And if you have a really good director, you get really, really good. We did concerts at Tanglewood, Saratoga, Washington. We toured all around the East Coast for that summer. And then at the end of the summer, some of the boys were chosen to go to the Kennedy Center in Washington, DC to sing in Bernstein's Mass. Now, this was a piece that Leonard Bernstein, one of our greatest composers and conductors, wrote to open the Kennedy Center in 1971. And it was a very unusual, dramatic piece based on the form of a Catholic mass. It involved a boys' choir. I was one of the boys who was chosen. So there I was opening the Kennedy Center, you know, as a 13-year-old and being around Leonard Bernstein and some amazing musicians around him and seeing this cultural phenomenon take place. So that really got me hooked. Yeah, that, that sounds like a very seminal event in your career as a young musician. That's that's incredible. That's incredible. I also understand you're a musicologist now. Is that correct? Well, yes. I've I have done quite a lot of musicology in the sense that I've restored orchestrations that were lost or corrupted. Well, I worked with Bernstein because I, I worked with him later in my life as well as an editor of his music. I helped him edit West Side Story when he was publishing it, and it was in pretty bad shape and it needed a lot of restoration. I also worked on Candide and Mass with him. And then much later on, I'm a musicologist out of necessity, let's put it that way, because people have always asked me to conduct Broadway repertoire. And I would get the score and parts of a song, let's say, if I were a rich man from Fiddler on the Roof, most people know that. And I would look at the materials that the publisher sent and would say, well, that's not right. That doesn't match. It's in the wrong key. What's going on here? And so I would have to do some work on the music before I ever rehearsed it with the musicians because I knew it would have sounded terrible and been wrong if we just put out the parts in front of the musicians. So it was self-preservation to start. And then after I did Kiss Me Kate one year, and I saw that the parts that were available from the publisher just were wrong. Kiss Me Kate's a Broadway show from 1948 by Cole Porter, by the way. I went to the Cole Porter estate, which was a group of lawyers in midtown Manhattan. And I said, I could restore this and make a critical edition of this piece which means that uh, we would document every decision we made about whether this note is a B flat or a B natural and should the saxophone be playing here or not? And what did they do on opening night in 1948? What did people actually hear when they went into that theater? Yeah. And so we spent, my husband and I, who was also a musician, wonderful musician, spent uh, four years off and on creating this hardbound full score of Kiss Me Kate. Now, People can play an authentic orchestration of that. So that's what musicology is. It's sort of going, digging down into the past and resurrecting music that 
people was really popular at the time mm -hmm. and it may have been a little neglected recently and making sure that it can be performed again because you know mozart mozart's music was in this condition for a while too after he died you know all the manuscripts were spread out all over his house or whatever and some of them were lost and his wife had some and she sold some off because she needed money oh, wow. someone had to come along and do the research and think well what did mozart actually write and what did they actually play so this is a process that's been going along through the history of music and now we're doing it for broadway and hollywood music yeah and it sounds like too to me that once you completed that critically what, how did you put it? Critical? It's called the critical edition, which just means that it's researched in a scholarly fashion. Yeah, it sounds like you could have gotten your PhD from that kind of thing. That, that. Well, it was, it was a steep learning curve. It was a big <laughs> learning curve, and I never want to do it again. It was one of those things that was really nice to have done in the past. Is there something like a moment or an event that really stands out to you and says, wow, this is the Philly Pops? Every concert. Every concert. We're in the fun business. <laughs> when, when those when 2,000 people in the audience are applauding, yeah, I know we've done the right thing, and they applaud at every concert. Obviously, that when we did the first salute series, we gave those 2,000 tickets away to the military and right. first responders, right? And they were all there, and yeah, we were the Philly Pops achieving a mission that we didn't envision when we took over the Pops, and then when we, when David Charles Abel came in as our conductor at Christmas, and he raised uh, the bar on our Christmas shows. And then this year as our principal conductor and music director, mm -hmm. and after seeing what David was able to do with this Christmas show, it's just taking us to a new level. And our audience is to a new level. And all I'm saying is really makes it easier for Danny to sell tickets. <laughs> His job, you know, even though David's working harder and I'm working harder, Danny has a less of a hard job to do because it's so great. I love it when we have our, our guests packed in the hall, right. especially coming back out of this pandemic to see the house sold out. We closed our Christmas concert on a sold out house. The energy was electric. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think one of the most important things that is truly Philly Pops is on that stage was a student that came up through our Pops in Schools music program, mm -hmm. All City Jazz, was a co-op here in our office, and oh, was wow. on stage with our musicians. So that is the true promise of our Pops in Schools oh, program, of great. really oh. inspiring and creating the next generation of artists. That's just, there's no words for me for that. That's tremendous. What inspired the connection? between the Philly Boys Choir and the Philly Pops, and what has been your response to the performances of the Philadelphia Boys Choir as part of the Philly Pops Christmas concert? Well, I'm going to ask David to expand what I'm going to say. When I took over the Philly Pops, the Philadelphia Boys Choir was already part of our Christmas tradition. Okay. And Philadelphia Boys Choir is also utilized at some other shows, if appropriate, during the year. Not every year, but, but sometimes they're involved. I love working with Philadelphia Boys Choir. It's an integral part of Christmas. I ask Jeff Smith to choose boys for solos. And 
That's a real high stakes game, isn't it? Even being in a, in a choir up there, you're sitting up there behind the orchestra. The orchestra is loud. You can't really hear yourself. You've got to follow the conductor. Already for all of those boys, you have to grow up really fast in a way. I treat the Philadelphia Boys Choir as professionals. The standards are professional standards. And I find that they're able to rise to those standards. And one of the things I love most about the Philly Pops is combining the professional musicians with the amateur musicians and the audience. It's a community organization in my mind. And it's connections between the public, the people who love to sing and sing because they love to, and the, the musicians who are paid to perform. And it makes the professionals more like the amateurs and the amateurs more like professionals, if you know what I mean, <laughs> in a good way. In a way, we have a connection to the boys' choir at every concert. How's that? Because Jeff Smith is our is cover conductor, the right phrase? Yes, yes. Assistant conductor and cover conductor. And my very valuable right-hand man. At every concert. Wow, that's tremendous. I, I didn't realize it was to that extent. Yes, to that extent. Wow. So there, you know, there's a Philadelphia boys' choir connection at every single concert. Jeff is one of the best musicians I know. He can play every style, classical, jazz, everything on the piano. He's a very gifted conductor. He, you know, plans the whole season for the Philadelphia Boys Choir. He administers it. I don't know how he does it. And, you know, he's just an amazing person. So all the kids are lucky to have, have contact with him. Well, I do want to say thank you so much to all of you, David Charles Abel and Danny Palmieri. And Frank Giordano, thank you so much for joining us here at Behind the Blazer. I do want to ask you, if someone's interested in learning more about the Philly Pops, what should they do? Go to our website, phillypops.org. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Kyle Kaufer, Asher Walker, Gabriel Beckett, Levi Craig, Mark Houck, Christopher Sempier, Jonah Serrata, and Boo Long. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org slash donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org slash donate. No, 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 no.